You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you. With professional-grade industrial supplies, count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. What is up, everybody? My name is Kyle Matovic. I am the host of the In Liberty and Health podcast, where we talk all things liberty, health and wellness, and beyond. My hope is to encourage and spread the message of liberty and physical and mental well-being. I hope you enjoy all the topics we talk about with our guests. We're on all major streaming platforms, so please sit back, relax, and enjoy. All right, everybody, what the hell is going on? I got Stephanie Edmonds here with me from Teaching Liberty. This has been something I've been kind of excited to uh, talk about for a little bit. She's fighting the vaccine mandates and is a uh, public school teacher, if I got that correct, right? Yes. Okay. Former, maybe still am, going to be fired tomorrow, somewhere in there. Um, A teacher of the city of New York, I was was tenured actually the year like everything shut down 2020 I'd gotten my tenure as a social studies teacher and I taught mainly 10th grade global history but I taught some U.S. some government and I also did some uh reading which like draws on my background from before I was a high school teacher I taught like phonics and math instruction okay cool so for you um where were you at prior to 2020? Because I breezed through your channel as much as I could. And it, it seems like you're pretty on the point is, um, you know, with most libertarian leaning kind of people, um, would you describe yourself as a libertarian? Or was there kind of a, like a moment where you felt like this was more correct than what you were previously or than what you previously understood? No, I, I would say like, I'm a little L libertarian. Mm-hmm. Um, though I have voted uh, Libertarian Party for the last three elections, Gary Johnson twice, and then it was, uh, what's her name? <laughs> that that, that should tell you all you need about her. <laughs> Joe, Joe Jorgensen, that's yeah, yeah. her name. I, I voted and I donated to her too, so. Yeah, yeah I, I didn't donate to her. You know who I donated to was Tulsi Gabbard. I'm sorry, we have a guest. This is my son who's saying that we're too, I'm too loud. Oh, well, he's it really means he fine. just wants to make a guest appearance. Yeah, no, you're perfectly fine. <laughs> my dogs are my most frequent guests, so I uh, don't feel bad at all. <laughs> <laughs> listen, I kids and dogs. Listen, I think kids are better to have than dogs because if it's a rainy day, I can say, you know what? We're not going outside today. But if you have that dog, you got to go outside for a walk. I guess unless you have a big space and they'll go out and come back, but. Yeah, no, my dogs definitely don't like uh, going outside in the rain. If I let my pit bull out, she'll just kind of turn around and stare at me. Like, okay, you know, okay. Hey, so, yeah, we're not uh, doing this. <laughs> so you got me there. You got me there. Yeah. Um, but uh, so, yeah, yeah, I would say I went, I've always been kind of like asked a lot of questions about politics just very naturally. And 
for a while, I was kind of like socialist. You know, when you're young, you're like, well, everybody should just be equal, right? Like you have a very simplistic kind of understanding of how very idealistic. Works. Yeah, you're you're you're, and that's how it's supposed to be. You, you know, you're a teenager, like, you know, you're supposed to hate the world and love the world and think everything should be equal and and all that. Um, and then my dad's kind of like, nah, no you know <laughs> and of course so we we fight about these things as all good jewish families do at the at the dinner table have very intense um discussions and fights even to this day mm-hmm. and i ended up going to israel and traveling and i stayed on um, a few different kibbutz which originally were formed in the, the socialist tradition right so these are like these little communities that are actually one of the ways that Israel was able to be founded because they like were all up and down that strip and then they were able to kind of like unite and fortify um whatever whatever side of the issue you stand on that that's just facts Mm -hmm. so um the uh yeah I went out there they all had to change over to a capitalist model so I kind of learned that but also like you know I was going 19 on 20 getting to see the world and um I came back and I was going to Yukon and they had a libertarian club so I joined the libertarian club with like a bunch of weird dudes I was the only girl I, I <laughs> there was no waiting line outside the women's bathroom in that club <laughs> And then like I took over because most of them were like in their senior year. So I was in there one year and then the next year they were all like seniors. So I took over and I changed it to the alternative political society so that we could like open up and try to get attract more membership. Um, But yeah, that's kind of like my political journey to where I am today. One thing I do like to say that is both kind of me being like I'm bragging and also um, a clear kind of pointer of what my political direction has been is 2008. I was 18 years old. That would have been my first time eligible to vote. Obama was running. We all know hopes and dreams and change and all that and change, you know, and I'm like, I don't know, like, I'm not really into this Republican guy over here. Who what was it? It was Mitt Romney or John McCain. Yeah, I think it was John McCain. Yeah. McCain the first time around I'm not really into him like he's all about war and like I don't like war and then I just don't believe this guy you know (laughs) something about it is like he can speak well he's got swag but it just seemed a little phony to me it seemed contrived but in a way again I'm still quite young I couldn't articulate but I ended up not voting for anyone because that had predated my discovery of the libertarian party it wasn't until the next year that I really started to go into this alternative political world and really be able to articulate why I just didn't buy any of it. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, that, I don't think uh, a lot of people had that kind of foresight because I think a lot of people genuinely felt that uh, Obama would have been a change. And then, um, you know, obviously, as we saw, that was uh, the complete, you know, I shouldn't say the complete opposite, but it was more of the same because, yeah. you know, we got more drone strikes, more wars, right. and, uh, you know, consequentially, all the stuff that we have kind of going on today. So uh, kind of tailing on there to your story, in 2020, um, I'm sure we can all remember what feels like 10 years ago in February of 2020. Um, what was life like for you? Real quick, I was, uh, we had shows scheduled. There's actually a flyer right there of a show that my band never played. <laughs> and I remember I was pretty excited for it. And the last show that we played was at the Railhouse here in Pennsylvania. And it was a packed show. I mean, wall to wall. All right. What kind of music yeah. is it? We're like alternative metal. Okay. Right? So uh, I, I don't really know where to put us, but we're like not insanely heavy, but we're not like ACDC, right? Okay. <laughs> so I, I think we have something to offer everybody, but that's, you know, neither here nor there. We kind of play a little bit of like punk. Well, you're not too far from me, you know, like. Oh yeah. So. Well, we, we play bigger shows all the time. We opened for Steel Panther actually in 2020. But um, so yeah, we played that show super packed and then we're like, yeah, man, like this is going to be an awesome year. We just released our first EP. This is going to be awesome. We got all these shows scheduled all over the country. And then next thing you know, oh, okay yeah march rolls around and then we're all locked in our homes so uh what was february going into march like and what was kind of like the experience and specifically for you because you were in um you live in connecticut but you work in new york 
in New York City. Yeah. So I live like in suburbs of New York City, but even though I'm, you know, across the state line. So I cross the state border every day. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I would have been making that commute, you know, five days a week, drop my son off at his uh, preschool, go into the Bronx, park up my car, go into my class, you know, teach my day, come back, pick him up and, you know, just the regular kind of nine to five sort of life, you can say. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, thinking about how am I going to have my trajectory because that was my tenure year. That was my tenure year, right? So I'm like thinking about tenure Mm -hmm. and thinking about, okay, well, what do I want to do? You know, I definitely saw myself becoming an administrator, like principal one day, but I also wanted to like make sure I was a really good teacher because I, you know, I don't want to be one of those administrators where like, wait, how many years did you spend in the classroom? You know, because on the one hand, I do think that there's people who are natural leaders and probably can go through the ranks quickly. But at the same time, there's nothing that replaces that on the ground experience. Mm -hmm. Right. So so I was like, you know, I want to put in whatever certain number of years. And I felt like I still had more time in the classroom. Um, And. Yeah, uh, I was that that was really like building up my YouTube channel. And my Instagram, because I had just gotten on, like, I think in that summer, like summer 2019, I, I really started everything up because um, I was just like, I was a big YouTube person. Like I watched a lot of YouTube. And I was like, I could do this. Yeah. You know, like there's not enough females in here. Like there's some, but mm-hmm. I was like, I could do this. Like I talk about this stuff all the time. Like, why don't I just do it into the camera? You know? And then at the same time, I was sort of like, I know like teachers, politics, how is this going to go? But I don't know. I'm always willing to kind of ride that line, I guess. And uh, so, yeah, that's where I was in 2019, building up my YouTube, my social media stuff, and just like doing the teacher thing and the mom. Yeah. (laughs) So then February into uh, March, um, how dramatic was that change for you? Because for me, I'm a mechanic, right? I work on cars for a living. Cars break no matter what, right? So I'm like, oh, well, I'm not going to get laid off. Nothing's going to change. I got laid off. First right, because nobody's driving. Life. Right. So they um, kind of set up our work schedule a little messed up, and they just ended up laying me off for about like three or four weeks. But then obviously I went back to work. But uh, so what was the change like for you? Because public schools got shut down and then you were teaching over Zoom. I I believe they had kids doing and kind of all that, you know, how was that for you? All right. So here's the thing is that I was, I was early on it. Right. Mm -hmm. So I, I wasn't as early as some people because my son had his birthday party on March 10th. We had his birthday party and there was. And there was a family or two that canceled from going to the party. And I was like, what, what are they? But then I started like paying a little bit more attention and seeing things. And then by the next week, I was sort of like, guys, I don't know. There's something going on here. And I took Friday off of work and I put a post on my Instagram page for my students. And I don't usually like do stuff. I was like, I'm taking today off because I think there's something going on with this coronavirus thing. And, you know, I just, I think that, that's what I'm doing. So I just like made it clear. That's what I was doing. And then come Sunday, everything shut down. Right. So I was early on things mm-hmm. and I was early too, like, Oh, on the mass and all these things that people were like, you, you're going to wear masks. You're going to do that, you know? And then after like the two weeks or so, I was sort of like, all right, well, they said spring break. So let's see what's happening by spring break. So that would have been a little bit over a month. And then they said, oh, we're going to extend it past spring break. And I was like, what? Because I had looked at the data and I remember on April 13th, I made a post on my student Instagram with a glass of like a green smoothie and a packet of my vitamins. Like it's like one of those packets, like those smelly vitamins, like the real good ones. (laughs) And I was like, I was like, one of the best things that you can do is just make sure that you're, you know, getting your fruits and vegetables and your vitamins. Because I had looked at the data and it was very clear who was dying. It was very clear the trends at that time from, I could tell. Right. And so that's right around where I was sort of like, 
you know what? Like, I think there's something else going on here. And like, I do think I was wrong for calling for the government basically to shut things down for two weeks. Mm-hmm. Like I said, for to, to do that. And I was wrong because I was very scared at the beginning. Right. But after those two weeks, I was sort of like, all right, what's going on? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was clearly, uh, as I've called it now, um, kind of the gift that keeps on giving. And, um, you know, I've gone out and criticized Trump probably more than anybody. But, uh, you know, I can understand the state of emergency initially. I don't agree with it. I can understand lockdowns initially. I don't agree with it, but I understand it. But then after the first kind of two weeks and once you kind of learn your district or whatever locale you're in, then it's like, okay, well, this was a big mistake. We need to course correct. We need to find ways to protect the elderly, the obese, and people who are more vulnerable to this and inform people of what their risk profiles are and also give people knowledge to know how to improve their health. So that way, if they do get sick with this, their immune system is as resilient as it can be. So that way we have less death on our hands. But there was none of that. It was just, oh, we'll stay in your home and you're going to die if you catch this airborne disease. And oh yeah, it lives on surfaces for two weeks. Yes, um, <laughs> wiping things yeah. down, like all that stuff. It was like, mm-hmm. yeah. And I just remember after that, we just like spent a lot of time outside. At some point, you know, I just kind of, like at first I was working really hard um, when I with my students. Um, but then it's like students kind of stopped coming, and like I would reach out and you try. Um, but, you know, I also had my son at home, like his, his daycare wasn't open. So it, you things were, you know, they went up and down. I'm sure like everybody, like we had some really good days, like where everything was fine and we played outside a lot and I wasn't stressing about work and stuff. And then there was days like when I was stressing about work and trying to get things done and my son was bothering me and whatever, whatever, you know, like, um, and like doom scrolling, and like not on a good schedule, you know, I was like pretty messed up for a long time. And then when once I just got a little bit of routine back, like in 20 in the fall when school opened up or opened up, you know, mm-hmm. but like I was going into work every day again, like. I was like, OK, I feel good again. Right. Yeah, it was Even kind though of- the world sucked and I, I was so mad about the schools, like the way they were, but I had structure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was a really odd feeling for me to go back to work. And I remember sending my fiance a picture. I had a hat on and this goofy looking mask. I was like, I, I, I hate this. This is so stupid. And, <laughs> you know, for I'm pretty sure they have a rule at my old job. I don't work there anymore, but uh, that if you're not vaccinated, you have to wear a mask. And it, it just it felt so silly kind of from the outset. And there was a status I posted literally in. I want to say it was like March, like March 15th of 2020. And I said, I'm not scared of coronavirus. And okay. I, I like, I look back at that and I'm like, I got this one. Right. I was right. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone else and including Republican coworkers. I mean, these guys are supposed to be dying the wool Trump supporters and brave and fighting the system, but they're like cowering. And then even like right. years afterwards, they were still like, Oh, well, you know, I got vaccinated and you know, you, 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 you should stay home if you're sick and don't come near me. You know, you've, you've right. They, they were looking I mean, at me. Like if you're like yeah. super sick, like you yeah. should probably stay home. You know what I mean? Like but yeah, within reason. Time, yeah. But at the same time, it's like, you know, I'm sorry. Like if my son has like the sniffles for a week, like I'm not going to keep him home for a week. Like that's yeah. ridiculous. Like you go do things when you have the sniffles, like you right. go do things when you have a little cough, like that's life. And, and so yeah, in terms of the the thing that re- I was looking back on it the other day, uh, July 2020, there was a segment on MSNBC where they had like five or six doctors on there. And they're like, if it were up to you, would you open schools? And, and they were all like 100% yes. If it were my kids, yes. Like I'm sending my kids back. And they were all like, yes, yes, yes. And then like right after that, Donald Trump was like, oh, schools should open. And everyone was like, the schools can't open. You want the teachers to die. And and then like I made a couple videos at that point being like, uh, like and reacting to some teachers and just being like, I think that we should open schools. And like, I remember being like, well, I don't want to be like too brazen, like calling for things. But I also like think that the school should open. 
Yeah. I've been like, I've been part, like I went to a bunch of parties over the summer. Like I hadn't worn my mask at all over the summer. Mm-hmm. I don't think I maybe, yeah. Cause they had dropped mask mandates in the summer. I knew I was going to have to wear them to go back to work. And I was like slightly nervous, maybe going back to work, but I feel like it was more trauma than it was like me actually being scared. And then like, once you're there for a couple of weeks, you're just sort of like, and you realize that it's just like the masks are so stupid. Cause you're like right next to the kids and like all this stuff, like, and I never enforced the masks and like the kids knew that they could come into my room. Cause there were some teachers, like I was in their room sometimes when they would like pull your mask up. And I was like, I I would be like, whoa, like, okay, that's crazy. You know, like I, I never, there was like maybe one time there was like, if I seen like the admin, maybe like walking down the hall, I'd be like, oh, hey guys, like the principal's coming just, you know, like for me. And then like, whatever. But that almost signals like, I don't care, but I also like, don't want to get that text message being like, you know? Yeah. Well, you just want... (laughs) The, the idea of masking children was so silly to me from the outset and pretty early on, because if you understood this disease early on, is that um, you understand that it mostly affects elderly and obese people, right? And right. the way that it kind of moves throughout a population is through viral load. And mostly elderly people who are obese. Right, right. So um, children don't get very sick, right? So they don't generate a high viral load. Well, if you don't have a high viral load, then you can't spread it. You can't, you can't shed a viral particle if you don't have a high viral load. I do believe um, that there are some studies that suggest that children are much less likely to spread it. I don't know if it was directly linked to viral load or just the way that, um, because I think like kids have less ability to like project or something but I don't know I might I might (laughs) challenge them on that one (laughs) myself Um, so I don't know what the exact like mechanism was but yeah it definitely seems like kids whatever for whatever reason are able to handle the disease and less likely to spread it I saw like a lot of the studies because I was looking a lot specifically at um, the education and the schools data And so they would do studies where they would trace like how the virus would spread in the schools. And it almost always was either teacher to teacher or teacher to student. It almost Mm -hmm. never was student to teacher. Right. Well, and that was the most sinister part is that we're basically sacrificing the young for the old, which we would never do. And the other thing is you never asked the elderly if this is what they wanted because (laughs) <laughs> well, they left them alone to die right. in nursing homes. And some people did not die necessarily of COVID. They died of despair sometimes. Or people spent so long in the hospital, not able to see their family. And then they come out of the hospital and then they died right after that. Right. There was this one woman who I just, I know her through Twitter. Um, and she's like one of these open schools moms. And her mom was in Canada and she got admitted to the hospital twice, but it was never quote unquote life threatening. So they weren't allowed to go see her. And then right when she got out and they were going to go see her, she died. That's, I almost don't have words for how vile I think that is that literal families were separated in the same country. You weren't allowed to go see your grandparents, your father, when you got to think this is probably all that they could possibly want. I don't think most elderly really cared about getting COVID so long as they got to kind of live out their final days, you know, yeah, seeing their children. I don't know. Grandchildren. I think some elderly like did really get super scared, right? Because mm-hmm. they scared them a lot too. And like, what do old people oh, yeah, yeah, all right. day? Like, they sit around and they watch news, but they're for sure like people who like weren't super scared. Like, you know, mm-hmm. my mom was like somewhat cautious. But she also like almost never stopped seeing us, you know, unless somebody like wasn't feeling well or something like she was there. And then even when I didn't feel well, like she would take my son for me. Like I remember there was a couple of days where I wasn't feeling well. I don't think I had COVID. I just don't think I felt well for a couple of days. But uh, yeah, or like when one of them, you know, so there's definitely people out there like who are grandparents who do what grandparents supposed to do. They'd be yeah. there for you no matter what. Exactly. Well, yeah, that's kind of my point is that, you know, obviously everybody knew if you're sick, probably a good idea not to go around the people who are most vulnerable. But like, I, I think if they're dying with COVID, they're probably, you know, they probably want to see their loved ones. Yeah. It's, and it's so sick that people who weren't sick weren't allowed to go see their grandparents who were dying in hospitals. It's and now a lot of those so hospitals vile. have yeah. vaccine mandates. 
Mm-hmm. Right. So it's it's so ridiculous. And initially, I was pretty, I don't want to say pro-vaccine, but I was like, okay, well, maybe this is a good thing. I obviously didn't take it. I got COVID. And yeah. It was like oh, I encouraged people to get it because I was like, get right. your vaccine and get your butt back to work. Mm-hmm. And it's so funny because there's these like teachers who troll me on Twitter and they have that sh- tweet screenshotted and then they'll post it up anytime I like say something that's like kind of critical they'll be like what about this and I'll be like I wasn't saying that I wanted it or it should be mandated I was encouraging this teacher to take it so that they could go back to work because I cared about the schools being opened and you know I was just I guess crossing my fingers that they didn't mandate it (sighs) I don't think me promoting it had anything to do with the mandate right I think that's kind of where I was too is like hey if you're if you didn't get COVID and you're looking for something to just kind of bolster your immune system, this looks viable. So maybe you should consider right. getting it. Right. No, my and we didn't have is like, you have to choose, right. right. You can't be scared of both the vaccine and COVID. You have to choose. You have to either <laughs> choose to get it or to brave it out in the world. Yeah. So that was sort of my position, even though I, if like one of my, like, for example, when my parents said they were going to get it, I was like, I don't really think you should. Obviously I think everybody should have their choice, but I don't think you should, even mm-hmm. though they say you're older and at risk. I don't know. Like you guys are pretty healthy and like, who knows what this thing could do and da da da. Right. Yeah. I, um, I tend to revolt against binary extremes because I've seen so many people say that, like, if you so much as smell the vaccine, you're going to die. And it's like, oh, <laughs> that's a little crazy. Right, right. But it, or like um, be around people with the right. vaccine. You know uh, what I mean? I'm like, being I've a little never... hyperbolic, but um, the same deal with like COVID. People are so ridiculous about COVID. It's like, okay, well, yes, younger people seem to be harmed more by the vaccine than by COVID. I think we can safely say that by now. Um, older people seem to get the vaccine to be relatively fine and it seems like it may maybe maybe I just think that they're just like the thing is that it's just so hard to tell right exactly right because how do you connect one thing to another especially because it seems like okay in in the acute form it seems to cause like some myocarditis or heart attacks right right? well especially in younger people right in younger people um but in the not acute form, right, it seems to cause a wide variety of other ailments or or push along other things like cancers or mm. other ailments that you might autoimmune things. I don't know. Yeah, it's. Um, I haven't looked too hard at that data, but just like from people who I've been following and have been like right on things. That seems to be the suggestion, at least. Right. Yeah. And obviously, I would never encourage, you know, a, a mandate or anything like that. I've spoken out against that plenty. But um, it's like I said, I just don't like the binary streams. I hear so many people going to, but I'm not going to sit here and sit for it because initially I was kind of like, OK, well, if this is something for older obese people, OK. But now I'm kind of like, yeah, well, you guys should probably like <laughs> it's not Listen, looking good is, anymore. I'd be cool with it if they're like, hey, do you want to take this experimental shot? You know what I mean? Like, right. they called it Just what it honest. was, like, yeah. be honest, you know, like. If you walk up to a drug dealer and you're buying X, you're not like, can you tell me the formula that this is made with? You know what I mean? <laughs> like, yeah, you have no idea what's in that shit. It's just like whatever was in the load or what. That yeah, day. It was just like a legitimized drug deal, essentially. Yeah, like, you know what I mean? Like, this is that's what I literally like. Sometimes when I'm like drinking a little too much and I think about it, I'm just like, bro, like is that really what we're doing like we're mandating you take the drug from the sketchy ass drug dealer like isn't that what our parents told us not to do all our lives and i was like sketchy ass drug dealer yeah he's just he's wearing a lab coat so he's got to be official right doesn't matter if he just pulled it out of the alleyway you know out of a dumpster or something like that he's wearing a lab coat you could trust him that's what all the smart people wear right The adults are in charge, so we're all good now. Um, So kind of tagging on here, um, you're fighting the law in New York against said vaccine mandates. Uh, Kind of fill me in on what's going on there and how's it going. 
Oh, it's going and going and going. Um, New York City is a very special place, uh, probably not too dissimilar, maybe from some places in California or like D.C., maybe Portland, super, super deep blue places. Um, So currently there is no more vaccine passport across the city, which was trademarked the key to NYC. So that is no longer in existence. However, the employer mandate, the private employer mandate and the city employer mandate are still in place. So technically every single worker, regardless if they work for a private company or for the city, need to be vaccinated. Um, Now, if you work for the state, like the MTA, right? Because the MTA is technically run by the state, not by the city, it's not a city agency. They don't have a vaccine mandate. So they may be the only workers in New York City who do not have to be vaccinated. Um, Now, what I've noticed is that depending on kind of the size of your employer, they'll accept religious exemptions or medical exemptions. If you have like a medium size or a small size employer and you write a good religious exemption, they seem to accept them or like if they don't and you kind of like put some pressure on them, they'll they kind of work with you. Now, if you work for one of these larger bureaucracies or like in New York, the nurses have the mandate, right? And that actually comes from the state. And then the the city workers were come for next. And so these are huge, large bureaucracies, right? There's 130,000 employees of the New York City Department of Education. And you're not talking to a person. You send your stuff into the Department of Human Capital. How is that for a term, right? Uh, You know, you check mark some boxes. And specifically for the teachers, each agency, I think, was slightly different because they do negotiate it with our union, which every single union hung us out to dry, right? So for all you union people out there, and I've never been super union because I'm like, I just don't think the unions are like really as democratic as they claim to be like for the people. It's not that I'm anti-union. It's like I'm anti what these unions have become. Um, And I think that this situation perfectly exemplifies what they are. They are political arms of the Democratic Party, typically political pawns. And it's not about their membership. Like, yeah, they want to try to maintain their membership and save some face by like making sure that we get our 3020A hearings, which, you know, they just want to make sure that, that we have those hearings, that they can't fire us without those hearings, but they don't care that we're going to get fired even through those hearings. Like they're not going to put up a defense for us. They just want to make sure that the DOE can't just fire us without, you know, cause in the case, like some, some teacher hits a student or molests a student, of course, mm-hmm. they want them to have their due process rights. They protect those teachers. Mm-hmm. You, it's optics. Right. You go after somebody else's bodily autonomy. That's what it's all about. But you want to protect your own. Uh-huh. Jeez. So um, you had a legal battle, correct? Yes. Yeah, so that's correct. We've had we've mounted several lawsuits against New York City. The first one was Maniscalco versus it's like either the city of New York or the mayor, but people in New York City. Right. And um, that one, they submitted a writ seriatory. I believe that's how you say it to the Supreme Court. You know, we had gone in and out back and forth for a while. And then that one was just kind of like a general class action for a bunch of different classes of people from the medical to the religious to the like a specific medical uh classification of like being pregnant or breastfeeding um so it was kind of more general and then the lawsuit that we have going on right now which i'm still i'm still hopeful about um is a religious case so it's it's on the basis of religious freedom and so everybody who's involved in that is people who file for religious exemptions right so there's some people who like rachel maniscalco who was the name playing plaintiff in that first case case she just did it for philosophical reasons which aren't considered religious so she didn't file religious exemption so like she wouldn't qualify for this and anybody with some sort of medical reason wouldn't qualify for this 
So it's only people who file the religious exemptions. And we've been going back and forth between the lower courts and the second circuit court and the lower courts and the second circuit court. We appealed to the Supreme Court, got denied one time, lower circuit, lower courts, second circuit, lower court, second circuit, appealed again to the Supreme Court, got denied went back to the Supreme Court and said, hey, Sotomayor didn't even write a thing, like can another panel look at it? Another panel looked at it, denied. And so now I believe we have a case coming up. I, I don't know the exact date, again, in one of the lower courts. So, Kangaroo and then I courts. think that we're gonna, and then I think they are gonna do a full writ seritory. I don't know if I'm saying that exactly correctly some Latin word to apply to go to the Supreme Court because the other applications were just like for them to look at one specific aspect of the case on an emergency basis, not a full like look at the whole case. So I do think that that's going to be the ultimate point. So at that point, it would go back to the Supreme Court for them to look at the entire case. And right now, they're just kind of looking at little bits and pieces and kind of saying, no, screw you, screw you, screw you. Kind of, yeah. And you know, the city courts, they're like so corrupt. It just seems like the judges are, there's been a couple judges. So I'm like, all right, they're asking questions. Like that one judge seems like they're, but they're just like, kind of like, remember how Sotomayor was like a hundred thousand kids have been hot. You something ridiculous. Yeah. That's kind of how these judges are. They're just like, they seem so COVIDians and I'm sure they're looking out for the city. I'm sure they're looking out for the city. And I think that they're just trying to buy time because they did actually initially find way back in like November, one of the first times they were, they admitted the New York city department of education admitted that their policy was discriminatory because they asked for teachers to submit a letter from a clergy. And that's a clear violation of the law on several levels at the state level and at the federal level mm-hmm. and on the city level. Cause we have the city, um, the human rights, uh, uh, our own like human rights set of policy that includes a statute on this. So they were like, yeah, I guess we shouldn't have done that. And so they actually put out another set of guidelines for applying that didn't have that requirement in it. But the thing is that a lot of people didn't apply in the first place. So they're like, I don't have a clergy. What's the point? So, you know, but they didn't have the chance to reapply and they're playing like like games like that. Another game that they played was that they didn't allow us to certify it as class action. They were like, no, this case can go through and then you can like, like once the case is finished, then you can certify it as class action, which just seems like, you know, like, because it's not 15 people. And I feel like the judges need to really realize that is it's like, hundreds if not like a thousand people like it's not a small group and some and and unfortunately some people have complied some people got a shot or two shots I know some people who just got one shot and they're kind of like trying to slide by in there but they've started picking those guys off too it's so crazy to me to think that people just are saying like hey I don't want to take this medical treatment they have legitimate concerns about it. And I'm sure there's people who have legitimate religious, you know, reasons for not wanting it, but you're being told that you can't do that. And even under medical exemptions, like you would think of all things, you would say like a medical exemption, like we shouldn't fuck around with that because what if this legitimately hurts this person? And we just told them they have no other choice, but to get this. So I know in a perfect libertarian society, yes, you know, this, whatever business could discriminate against whoever they want, but like, it's a little different when you have the government literally saying that you have to mandate this. Okay, now we should be able to depart from Ancapistan and say that this is bad and whatever we can do to stop right. this well, is but, okay. Would it, but anarcho-capitalism, it, it would be, there wouldn't be a government, right? Wouldn't it be like business by business? Right. Like there wouldn't be a central authority to like mandate it. Yeah, yeah. so th- that's my point though. And, you know, in a theoretical anarchist uh jesus my dog's such an asshole (laughs) it's okay (laughs) um and a a theoretical anarcho-capitalist utopia okay there we go that was a phrase i'm looking for um like you said it'd be business by business by business right so the business would be able to mandate the vaccine and then you'd be able to go work for somewhere else but once again we're talking about the president 
pushing for a federal vaccine mandate on private employers. This is different. This is the federal government trampling on businesses' rights, which then trample on individual rights. All right. right. So whatever we that's can do always to stop how that. it's been, though, that's yes. always how it's been. Right? right. So so originally, sometimes some of these ideas do kind of come from the people and then like trickle their way up. And then the government's like, oh, we should do that. They latch right. on to that power. And then they're the ones who are kind of trying to maintain this status quo past its time of economic um, uh, like. Econ- like it being economically feasible. Right. So. Because I know that the, the mandate put a lot of pressure on businesses because now you have to pay somebody to stand there and check those cards, mm-hmm. right? And now you have less people coming into restaurants, A, because there's this idea that like COVID's the scary thing and you need this passport for it. And B, like anybody who's unvaccinated or like doesn't like the system is now not going out. So right. you're kind of coming at businesses from both ways. And I'm sure there are businesses out there that are catered to like, those people who want an unvac or vaccinated only area. And, you know, we have public accommodations laws and in an ideal anarcho-capitalist, in a anarcho-capitalist, now I'm having trouble with it. <laughs> oh, you're good. Oh, and, and I do have to say, interjecting, um, I do not, definitely do not think that my son is an asshole. You know, I, w- I would never draw that comparison between dogs and children. <laughs> Um, so in a perfect anarcho-capitalism society, you wouldn't have public accommodations, right? right? And I, yeah, I don't know if I'm for or against that because of everything that's happened recently. That was kind of our argument against the businesses. But again, the businesses were usually only doing it because the government told them they had to. Right. Yeah. And that's kind of been my question all along is that, for a business, what are you willing to do to make sure that a business enforces this? What does that look like being enforced with someone who does not want to comply with this? And that's a legitimate question, and I have not gotten quite a clear answer on that. Well, so are you willing to send in police to, you know, at gunpoint yes. and arrest people? Well, and not at gunpoint, but yes, it? they have in New York City. Well, okay, have. right. Well, at what point, if somebody says, I'm not going to enforce this vaccine mandate, then you find them and they refuse to pay the fine. Yeah. Well, like Ian Smith, right. He was on the show. Right. Yeah. Ian Smith's fitness. So, and I don't think he, I think he beat most of his stuff, right. He's still kind of battling out. Okay. He's battling. And then Danny Presti out in Staten Island. Okay. I'm not sure. Yeah. He, he also did not comply and I believe he beat all his stuff. And like he got arrested on a couple other occasions too for like blocking a a garbage truck when we were like holding a line on the mandates. Um but yeah, people were getting arrested in New York City. But like the only thing that went for the only thing that went for us was that they have the catch and release, mm-hmm. right? There's no, there's no bond, <laughs> there's no bonds. It's just promise to appears or whatever. Yeah. And so like you go and then like after how you know, a couple hours, like you you get released. Mm-hmm. Um, and then some of the charges got dropped. Some of them stuck. I think that they're working on like getting a lawyer and stuff and um, working on these kind of like civil rights sort of base cases. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll see. Hopefully something, excuse me, comes of that. I was always very frustrated because I'm like, where are the lawyers? Like, where are the people who want to take, where's the Benjamin Crumps of our side? <laughs> Except hopefully like with a little more integrity. Right. Yeah. And I feel like there's, there's probably a lot of money to be made if you're a lawyer that's willing to kind of stick it to the man. Although typically the lawyer is the man. Um, yeah. The lawyers who are looking out there to fight the vaccine mandates, I'm sure you could find people who would pay you hand over fist. Right. And we need some of these, like these big organizations to support us though. Cause like, you know, like we've raised a lot of money and we paid these lawyers a lot of money, mm-hmm. but also like, I don't have a job. Like I was, I was delivering Uber today. <laughs> You know, that's, that's what I, that's why I kind of, I, I was like, I have my son with me. Cause I was like, it's a good time to do Uber right now. So we're going to drive around. And, um, cause like I'm about to run out of unemployment. So I'm like trying to like string together. I have like some projects and stuff that I do, but it's like not enough. So I'm like, all right, today was the first day I ever did it. So I wanted to see like, okay, if I like put in, like really, really do it, like how much money could I make? And so I made like a hundred dollars today. But yeah. it's like I had to I had to do it for like five hours and it's like you drive around a lot and it's kind of tiring. Mm-hmm. 
My so, God. but it's like, if you have to make some money real quick, I guess, but at the same time, it's like, you know, if I made a hundred dollars a day, that's only $2,800 a month. Mm-hmm. And like, that's not enough. Right. And you were a tenured teacher. So real quick, kind of define what a tenured teacher is and what that kind of lifestyle looks like. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, tenure is actually something that I don't even super really believe in. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I was like, okay, it's part of the system. And it's something you kind of put into your calculation for how things are going to go. And it creates kind of like a, a comfort level for you, mm-hmm. right? Because you're like, all right, I'm going to work this many years. And after 25 years, then I'm kind of like guaranteed this amount in my retirement. Plus I have my 403B account, which is like a 401k, except for mm. um, public employees. And then I'm going to like do my investing on my own because, you know, I'm making like, my check was like 4k a month, you know, cause I made like, I made like 75k a year. Plus I had a, a bunch of overtime opportunities. So I was making like almost another extra 10k from that. And so like, I'm a single mom and like, I do get um, child support and all that, but I felt like I was doing pretty good for myself. Like I saved money every month. I was investing. I was like putting away the max amount in my Roth IRA and um, also had like a regular investing account. And, you know, I felt comfortable like going to the store and like buying whatever I want. Like I didn't, I, not that like, I always was brought up to like make a shopping list and like buy things on sale like that. So I wasn't like super crazy, but like I bought organic food and I like, you know, like I didn't have to worry about it. Right. But now I'm like, really like, all right, you can go get like bars and we'll get like, you know, like some chicken, I guess. And a couple bucks, you know, it's like way different and it's nerve wracking too. When you're like living on your credit cards or yeah. like on unemployment, your unemployment's going to run out in a couple of weeks. And sometimes you're like, you feel the stress of it, you know? My God. Yeah. And I mean, you've taken a huge um, hit in your standard of living to take a stand. And I think that's something that uh, people should really admire. I've had. But at the same time, I'm so grateful because I like look around. I'm like, bro, like I don't have a job. Like I haven't worked in like eight months. And, you know, I'm sitting on a couch in a well-heated house in the winter. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, so it's like not like I haven't had it super hard like that. And I put myself in the position where I could hold the line. Like I had savings. So I could do this, you know, I am definitely like going on to my credit card and stuff. Um, but I also like have a bunch of investments, but I don't want to liquidate those either. Cause I do know, like I've listened to a bunch of investors and they'll say like one thing that they almost wish that they did was like go in, in debt to invest more. So I'm like, all right, I'm investing my money. Like I'm going to make it through this. I'm working through some things right now, but I have a vision for creating my own school or educational services, you know, I'm going hard into the YouTube and the content creation. And I believe in this. And this is what I'm going to do. And right now I'm, I'm digging a little hole in terms of my finances, but I believe in this, and it's going to work out. Right? Well, you know, I think we were all told when we were younger that most businesses generally don't make any money after the first five or um, until the first five years are over. So yeah, there is, uh, you know, as I always say, it's all reps, right? You know, I'm a big exercise enthusiast. So it's, uh, you know, there's a lot of work to be put in to put on that little bit of lean mass, right. or you got to make a lot of deposits into the bank before you finally start to see a return on your investment. Right. Well, listen, I was talking into my phone for, for how long? Mm-hmm. And then suddenly what I was talking about was really relevant to a group of people who didn't have a lot of places to get it. So that's when I really got a lot of followers. I had been talking to my phone for two years and then, and I had like, I had like 1700 or 1800 followers. And then when the mandate stuff got really serious, like, you know, that's what I would talk about into my phone then instead of my lesson of the day or whatever I was talking about. And people were looking for that. People were looking for people who were talking about that for support, for information, And so I just like got a a really large influx of followers. And like, I was like growing pretty steadily the last, the last like two, three months I've been having a little bit like harder time having the same growth. Um, every once in a while I'll get like a nice little pop of like a hundred or 200 people, but then it's like slow going and I'll like go up and then I'm like, 
go down like three or four. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> it's kind of a little bit of a rocky ride. Um, so that kind of being said, well, actually, I want to kind of tag on this real quick. Um, I'm part of the Pennsylvania um, Libertarian Party Mises Caucus, and I was on our podcast on Sunday, and they were kind of asking everybody, what do we think is important going into 2023 and 20, you know, the rest of 2022? And it's about taking a stand at the right time, right? So we could all say racism and slavery is bad, you know, after however many hundred years we are past it, right? But where are you when it's time to take a stand on the most important thing right Right now? now. Exactly. So you need to be present in the moment to take a stand about what's important right now. You were right there when the vaccine mandates were big and you took a stand right then when it wasn't and, popular. And before that, listen, I did it before yeah. that. I want to say that <laughs> what I might even be more proud of is the schools, mm-hmm. right? Because I came out as soon as they closed down the schools, I said, this isn't right. And I went out in the streets and I was standing right next to the parents and I was saying, open these schools back up. Mm-hmm. And to, and so like, <clears throat> to me, it's like, I, and I always thought, you know, if I was back then, what, how would I have been? If I was in the time of slavery and the time of this, like, would have I been a person that stood up for it? Everybody thinks that they would have been. And then it came to this and where is everybody? You can point to, oh, the government was bad back then. People were bad back then, but now you have so much hubris to think that those things can't happen now. Mm -hmm. Uh, Plenty of people do. And like I was saying, it's, you have to take a stand when it's not popular to do so. That's when you can tell somebody's character is actually there. And, you know, obviously with the whole war in Ukraine kind of going on, now it's important to be anti-war when it's so easy to be a neocon and say that we should go, you know, dominate the world as we try to do in this country. So that being said, is there anything you're optimistic about going into the rest of this year? Oh, yes, I'm optimistic. Okay. I mean, you have to be optimistic, right? Yeah, absolutely. I I mean, not that I'm like optimistic 100% of the time. Like I have my days and my times where I'm like, things suck and I like cry and, you know, whatever. Um, But my overall trend is definitely towards optimism. Mm -hmm. I think that where there is a lot of instability and turmoil and confusion, there's opportunity, not like in a political opportunistic way, but in a way that like, there's something falling, like there's some sort sort of like regime, there's like, there's a change happening here. And so we can either allow the forces that have been dominating to continue to dominate, or we can take this opportunity to seize control of these new, what you call them, <laughs> um, technologies mm-hmm. and um, who, who owns the, the resources of making things? You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> uh, well, th- I think what you're getting at is basically taking advantage of all the technologies and resources available to us to help spread the message and wake more people of up. liberty right yeah. and of freedom like we have an opportunity i think like i see like we're also like i think moving into an era of decentralization yes right because and you have to go back and forth like history has to oscillate to make progress mm-hmm. and so we've become centralized we had to centralize in order to make certain advancements in technology and now we have this like really great thing, the internet, and we're like kind of in our teenage years. But as we kind of like more mature with it, I really think there's going to be an opportunity to, to take smaller groups of people to create the same economies of scale that you once needed, like these large conglomerates to make. And I also think that it just, it, may, it makes more sense for the long-term stability of society. Right. Because it's so hard to sustain in the in these such large like social groups and cultural groups. And when we when you want to talk about like self-care and things like like real self-care is like you have to be invested in your community mm-hmm. and things just got way too centralized, way too federalized. And that was actually one of my things going way back to when I like really didn't know anything. I always said I want more state rights. I want more state rights. I want more like, I want to be more involved locally. I want to feel like I can change things. Right. 
Yeah, because right now it doesn't. It, we don't think we have a say. But the thing is, you know, if we all got a little bit more invested locally and elected more people that we know, leaders yes. of our community locally, then we would see a great change. Um, and that's what not a lot of people are doing, but I think that's kind of coming through more and more and more, especially right. as, uh, we saw so many differences in outcomes with states. Well, I shouldn't necessarily say differences of outcomes, but like, you know, you see a lot of people are moving to red states that didn't lock down and moving Florida and Texas. Right. Right. Um, so I think people kind of learned the hard way that, okay, maybe it is important who's elected governor, who's elected city council or this or that. It's activated a lot of people for sure. Right. I actually got a letter the today mm-hmm. from my condo association being like, because we didn't have a quorum at the last meeting, we couldn't do the budget. I'm like, I need to put up or shut up. Like I'm not even participating in my, like where I live. So I'm going to, I'm going to go to that next one and hopefully we'll have a quorum. Yeah, it's uh, it's really interesting. Um, you know, as I got involved with the Libertarian Party, it's like, man, there's like so much intricacy and rules, and people get really invested in this stuff. But I mean, you know, it's meaningful, and you're making meaningful change within your community. Um, we've been going for about an hour now. I want to be respectful of your time. All my dogs are going absolutely crazy, except for my uh, mini pin. She's literally sleeping down at my feet right now. <laughs> Anything else you want to add on? and anything you want to plug um i would i i would love to know more i guess about the libertarian party i'm definitely a big fan of dave smith and i know he's a big libertarian party guy and he's been he's been saying that there's like big changes coming and he's in the mises caucus if i'm right right Mm -hmm. um so i think you know i would just definitely be more interested in learning about what's going on with that so maybe you could come on my my podcast and talk about that um but other than that i just appreciate you having me on and sharing um my story and the story of kind of what's going on in new york city because just i'm so insulated here about what's going on in new york city and connecticut it's like hard to when i talk to people in other states are like covid like the only time i talk about that is with you you know what i mean or yeah. then there's people out in california and portland who are also going through who through similar things, sometimes more strict, sometimes less, but it's hard to keep track of all the cases and all the things. So I hope that this gives people a little update about what's going on in New York City. And if you want daily updates, you can follow me on Instagram at Teaching Liberty. Um, I'm also on Twitter, which is where I know you from. Um, I don't post quite as much on Twitter, but you can find me over there, Teach Liberty One. And you can find everything on my website and join the community that I have over there at teachingliberty.org. Awesome. Um, you need to look into Larry Sharp. He is one of the greatest libertarians to have ever lived. And he's yes. for, yes, yes. He's running for governor in New York. I had yes. him on the show and he is just absolutely one of my favorite people on the face of the planet, just because he's such a sincerely nice guy who cares about people and cares about solutions rather than theoretical abstracts or other stuff. He's just, I've said it many, many times, but he's probably one of the greatest libertarians alive. And I'm so honored that I not only got to talk to him on the show, but also um, support him in his run for governor because I did donate to him and I will donate again just because I think he's such an awesome guy. All right. Yes. I'll have to bring him up more too. I've been, I guess like I pay, pay more attention. I'm guilty of it to mm-hmm. the corporate mainstream candidates. Yeah. So it's like Astorino and Zeldin are kind of like the mainstream Republican candidates. Mm-hmm. And then of course, Kathy Hochul now Cuomo talking about he wants to run, but whatever, I don't care. Run like, um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I do forget about um, Larry Sharp who I've been following for a long time on Instagram. And also I think he's conservative party is there's a guy named Derek Gibson and he's really, cool too he was out on the streets protesting with us he did a few sit-ins with us okay so. that's awesome nice all right well um any last uh closing thoughts anything else to plug or are you good to go oh man i appreciate you for having me on and hopefully we'll talk again soon absolutely all right everybody until next time take care you know how to book flights and hotels all you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive that's why you need viator Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. 
Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real Traveler Reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.